Hello and welcome to episode nine of the D50 Shades at D&D podcast. This is the first episode of season two, such as it is with me, is my co-host Rick. Hey, everybody. And James. Hello out there. And special guest, Kojo. Hey, how's it going, guys? And today we will be discussing the old school essentials Retro adventure game. We'll start off by, you know, an extra so, uh, special welcome to uh, our, our first ever guest, Kojo. Yeah, new season, new budget. We can afford guests now. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I appreciate well, you guys really set me up with the nice hotel and the you know first class <laughs> plane ticket to get down here to the uh, Gateway Game Studios. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no this problem. Is very nice you know, we like to we're styling and profiling most of the time. Speaking Absolutely. of sparing no expense, that um, we still have to fill out that expense report, right? Oh, uh, we'll have the accountants look at that. Okay. It's, if you want to make a lot of money, get yourself an RPG podcast. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. The cash will just start rolling in. It, it helps offset the copious costs of all the role-playing games that we purchase. <laughs> totally offsets it. So I, I'm going to throw the ball into James's court. And have him tell us, James, what in the world is Old School Essentials Retro Adventure Game? Uh, well, Old School Essentials Classic Fantasy, which is the game I'm talking about, uh, is a uh, re. It is really a reference of BX. Dungeons and Dragons, the Moldvade Cook set specifically. Um, so it takes the basic book and the expert book, puts it into one uh, book or uh, several smaller books if you have that the uh, that edition, and cleans up the rules to be consistent and not contradictory. It has a fantastic layout and format and uh, just does a fantastic job of uniting those two books. And it's the only BX that is currently, I believe, in print that you can get since the originals are not available on DriveThruRPG Print On Demand. And um, I'm not sure Labyrinth, Labyrinth Board is in print right now either. So it may be the only, like, uh, widely available anyway, um, BX clone uh, on the market. So uh, it is by a, a fellow named uh, Gavin Norman uh, and uh, his publishing company, The Necrotic Gnome. And it is a lovely, lovely tome uh, that honestly is my desert island um, role-playing game. So let, let's take a minute to, to look at the fact that we seem to have different copies. Uh, I have this fancy old-school essentials retro adventure game box set with one, two, three, four, five hardbacks in a fabulous box. Yeah. And you have a single tome? Yeah, this is the rules tome. And does that have everything in it that mine has, probably? It has everything that yours has in it, yes. Uh, so yours is broken into, each section of the rules tone uh, is broken into individual books in your box set, uh, which is fantastic, and I love that format also because you can hand it out to, you know, you can hand the treasure book out to players or, or just the character and classes book out to players. The rules term I use uh, as my DM reference at the table. And uh, my edition is different than the one I think Rick has. Yeah, Rick, which that, one do you have? Well, I have both. The oh, rules you have both. Of course you have them. And, well, yeah, of course I have them. I mean, with, no, with doubt, our... no doubt Corey does too. Corey. Uh, and I also have... Um, Wait, are you getting bigger royalty checks than the rest of us, Rick? Uh... I'm not at liberty to discuss that um, right now. Uh, there you go. Yeah, and of yes. course I knew Corey. Corey would have all of it. I also have the advanced uh, 
the same author has done some a couple of books that uh, that bring in AD and D elements into it, and that's not really the focus of our show today. We might mention it again mm-hmm. later, but I have those as well. And there's a new Kickstarter that is in the process of fulfilling that has uh, the advanced stuff rolled into uh, two books, uh, two rules tomes now instead of just one. So there's well, lots. Of, there's lots of additions. Um, for sure, and I, I think uh, it's worth noting that uh, the original intent I know from following Gavin's progress on this project was to start with those modular books way back when before it was old school essentials it was bx essentials was kind of the first iteration of it and they were just uh, modular books and that's when i got plugged into it when it was bx essentials and then he rebranded it to be you know appeal to a broader audience i think and people were questioning like what's bx and if they didn't know what bx was you know it was a marketing thing but he he basically took everything to the ground and and, and reworked it all that's through that process that through i think fan requests that people were saying well i'd love i like the modular books that's cool but at the same time it'd be handy to have one all inclusive book and so that's where the rules tome kind of came from was uh you know fan requests that I was seeing in social media and stuff of Gavin. And uh, so he made both available, but yeah, you could play the game with either the modular books or the rules tone. The, uh, the rebranding was a good idea because I can think of two other, um, at least two other uh, efforts out there that's available either via Lulu, uh, print on demand, drive through whatever that featured BX in the title that essentially do the same thing. I mean, of course, from that particular designer's viewpoint, so it doesn't, you know, Gavin's approach was different than theirs, but um, old school essentials kind of like made it its own thing. Yeah, I know yeah. that for myself, at least, um, you know, there are, you know, Labyrinth Lords out there, Paysetters, BX is out there, um, but all of the that's, other ones that's that... That's the one that I was thinking of was Paysetters, but I've also got this one right here, which is simply called BX Fantasy Roleplay. And again, right. did not get nearly the attention that OSE does. Right. But I thought it was wise of Gavin to, uh, to, to change the name. And there's basic fantasy RPG that's out there that has roots in BX. I, I think the biggest thing is that Old School Essentials doesn't attempt to be anything besides reorganizing and clarifying and simplifying the access to the bx rule set whereas labyrinth lord and the pace setter one uh, from what i've observed you know that's the core but they've added on bolted on things that make it a different game and old school essentials really is you know with some very minor gavin bringing in all his house rules right it is not i mean the only choices he made was between uh, when you know given no other choice that yeah, I the think ambiguous, ambiguousness of the rules made it necessary to right. like you know to research and then finally choose one way or another just for clarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a hundred percent faithful to to the original BX uh, Mulvey Cook books, and, and like where he did clarify, the thing I appreciate is that when he disambiguates something, he does it in the same style with a similar ruling as other areas of Mold Bay Cook. Like he didn't just espouse uh, on, on you know, disambiguating it. He used the, a similar uh, rule from somewhere else or, or language from somewhere else and did a really good job to just make it feel 100% consistent with BX uh, such that you can pick up any BX module uh, and run it with OSE right out of the box, you know, no conversion necessary. So, yeah, this is not a uh, this is not a neo clone. This is a, this is a clone. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really think the only thing that that's in there that um, maybe you know could be jarring to some people because, of course, the original BX was you know uh, descending armor class. Mm-hmm. You know as it was back in the day he includes as an optional rule ascending armor class but it is in there as a modular option and next to like the original armor class i think yeah Mm -hmm. so which i really appreciate him doing that yeah i think doing both and doing it the way that he did it 
um, you know, makes it pretty fluid to whichever way you want to go. About Seems writing. to keep both audiences happy. Yep. I think you did a good job of that. Yeah. So we invited uh, Kojo onto this episode in particular uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he is the one that ran us through our old school essentials playtest. Yeah, we don't just talk about this. We, we, we walk the walk, but we also talk the talk. You know? That's right. Also, in season one, he was the first one that we wrote a letter to because we wanted to beat him to the punch because we knew that he would write us a letter. He's and the only one that we emailed. <laughs> I don't think you read any of my letters I sent you. Yeah, yeah. So he, oh, he sent a couple letters. We can't afford that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Our team of email or letter readers are actually mostly going through legal documents all the time. Gotcha. So, Makes sense. Well, you know, you, you you know, know cease and desist that. orders. So, so why, why don't you tell us a little bit about the adventure you ran us through? Yeah, sure. That's a good idea. Um, so the adventure that I pulled is a short adventure in uh, a fanzine called Back to Basics. And that's basics with an X on the end. Specifically issue number seven. This is published So it by, starts with a B and it yeah. ends with an X. Yeah, it starts with a B and ends with an X. Back to Basics. Yeah. Brilliant. So I see is, what uh, he did there. Yep, it was pretty clever. Um, it's by Tom Wilson of Throwy Games. And it, uh, all of the issues are available on um, Drive Through uh, RPG. And I know Goodman Games had, has some print copies. Yeah, limit, limited stock of some issues. Yeah, they've, they've been limited in, in its, its physical printing, but uh, easy enough to get PDF and print yourself, too. Um, and so Tom Wilson's been putting a lot of good stuff out there. And so I, I, I really turned to this really as because there's a lot of short adventures in here, new monsters and things. And this adventure is called The High Crypt. And it's written for uh, three to five characters of levels five to seven. And uh, there were three of you running. So I think we went with either sixth or seventh level um, to give you a little bit better survivability chance there. And um, the adventure, it's only, uh, there's only, you know, six rooms in the crypt. Uh, so it's something that, you know, we ran it in what, about three, four hour slot. Um, be good for a con And survive game. it, we did. And you did. So Barely. <laughs> yeah. no, and I, so I would like to say, Jim Wampler will be happy to know that I did throw a fireball during this adventure. In the first room of the dungeon, yeah, actually. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you weren't messing around. Of course, I mean that's I think you know probably knowing BX has you know you know less uh, you know there's no death saves, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> uh, so when you when you walked into a room and saw a troll, you just lit him up. Yeah, I'd also like to point out there's a troll in the first room of the dungeon. That's, <laughs> right. And that that also is in Jim Wampler's rule of there must be a TPK in the first room of the yeah. dungeon. <laughs> certainly has that potential. So, um, yeah, so the fireball is probably a good idea. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to give a whole bunch of spoilers about, you know, how it ends. But, uh, you know, it's I, I, I picked it because... Um, not only was it short and fit the time span, but, um, you know, it just had kind of a cool, creepy vibe to it that I, I kind of, it was, kind of a, liked. it was a great adventure. I, once well I written. found, once Corey told me, or, uh, Kojo told me like, uh, what it was from, I went and purchased them all, uh, via PDF and, uh, no regrets. Uh, it is great stuff. Yeah, there's 10 issues out there of this zine. Um, he's kind of. Does every issue have an adventure? Yes. Uh, Some of yeah, them have think, more than one. Nice. Yeah, this one has two. Uh, a lot of them have two. The first couple, maybe, I don't know if they had, you know, maybe just encounters, not full adventures, but as the as the zine kind of progressed up to issue 10, there's a lot more in there. There's one thing I like, with... and not, not to get too far into a tangent, because, you know, we're really talking about OSC, but each issue seemed to have like a magic item, like new magic items or new monsters. And then they would work those into the adventure that was in that issue. So I thought that that's was true. Cool. Yeah. Good point. Yep. It was, it was a perfect one night stand adventure. I think so. I think that, that showed a lot of the different aspects or, or let, let us delve, in, delve into a lot of the different aspects of the game. Uh, yes. You know, we had to use fire to deal with the troll. There was sneaking, there were hidden passages. 
we we had to figure out how to traverse certain obstacles. So it it, it was really great. How's this so, for a segue? Did uh, at any point did your magic user cast magic missile? So I'm pretty sure after I softened up the troll with a fireball, mm-hmm. I followed it up with a magic missile because he was still well, kicking for a little bit after that. In my little subset uh, segment that, uh, uh, like, how does magic missile work in OSC? I figured this would be helpful because I know that as perspective buyer uh, for like a, a new versions of Dungeons and Dragons or something that claims to be uh, trying to recreate Dungeons and Dragons, I like to know how they, particularly how they uh, present uh, magic missile. It, does it auto hit like a classic, or do you have to roll to hit like some other games have done? But uh, you'll be happy to know, I'm sure, that it's it's pretty much faithful to the way that magic missile has always worked, as far as like an old school Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it is an auto hit. The range is 150 feet. Um, the damage, this is a little bit different. The damage is 1d6 plus 1 rather than 1d4. Um, because in DX, everything is a D6. Okay. All right. Damage. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the higher level casters can uh, cast additional magic missiles. And they're basically, you get two additional missiles are conjured per five experience levels. So, for example, if you're six to tenth, you get three missiles and so on and so on. They can be directed at a single target. One thing that's worth noting, too, and I've seen this, too, in... Uh you know forums and things being discussed so the duration of the spell is one turn right right. not a round it's a turn and so this um you know i think most of the time i mean in its use it's i cast the spell i shoot the missile i'm done right but this is a spell that you can actually cast this version of magic missile in this game you can cast it and keep it you know ready to go i missed around the dungeon with it And you can walk around the dungeon with it and then release it when you're ready and you don't have to cast the spell, which means that's you don't right. have to worry about being disrupted that's or... Right. Oh, that's um, genius. I missed that. I, you know, I mean, and that's, it was right there in print, but I just, I'm, I'm not used to looking at that for a also, spell like that. So a lot of people miss it. In fact, when I played back in the day, I never used it that way. It was only through seeing discussions on, on forums in more recent... Dang it, Kojo, uh, having you on was a great idea. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that I talked the other two into it because they were totally against it. But I said, no, this guy's perfect. You know, well, They wanted to get Gavin Norman himself. I was like, no. Right? Yeah. Well, I, again, I can't take credit. I, I, I saw people discussing it on a forum, but, uh, you no, know, man, it, it you, does. That's, it, that's it, the kind of stuff we appreciate you bringing to our little show. Well, thanks. I, you know, it's but it is key because of the way spells work in the combat sequence in this game is, is right. different than, uh, you know, what most people might be used to for more modern games. And so there is increased opportunity to have your spells disrupted, I think, in this version. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a spell that you can pre, basically, you know, preload your gun exactly. and then just, just release it when you need it without having to go through the spell casting um, right at the beginning of the round. Like that's Sweet. a good, you know, surprise kind of use. So, um, and I think old school games in general, I mean, I think there's a lot of that in the rules with these spells where, you can use them in different interesting ways, right? Instead of just casting them at the moment. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, BX, you can reverse spells, right? Uh, They save a lot of space on spells by just saying, you know, uh, your heal can also harm. And I I love the creative aspect of that. Yeah, magic missile is also fantastic because if you could get far enough away from someone that it would take 10 minutes to get there. You could still hit them with a magic missile, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as long as you can see them. There's a li- there seems like there's a limited amount of spells. Uh, there's just a handful of spells, it seems, for each level for both mm-hmm. uh, magic user and cleric. It, does that match up with BX? Yes. Um, I'm used to more because I'm an AD&D guy. Yeah. Uh, but they... I think they give you enough where if you wanted to like port over something from another source, it's, it's literally, it's as easy as pie because you could probably just use it as written for the other system. uh, Assuming it was like BX or AD and D or 
OD and D related, but uh, um, I wasn't sure if that uh, did they did they use every spell from BX? Yep, everything well, that, that is that in BX. Perfect. That makes sense then. Everything that is in BX is in uh, OC. Yeah, I, I know that. Back to I know disc. that one of those advanced books that I mentioned uh, is brings brings in the illusionist and the uh, the druid spells. It's a, in a separate book of its own. Well, um, and it's but, uh, it's worth noting that with the when Gavin did branch out into the advanced material, that you know, like with the clerics and the druids, uh, or the druids and the illusionists, the druid spell list matches up with the cleric spell list from BX, the same number per level of spells. Like I know he was intentional in, you know, having to choose which druid spells from AD and D, of which there were many, many more narrowing it down to a list that mirrored the clerics and for the illusionists that mirrored the magic user. So, um, so okay. it will be advanced options as if those were put into basic. Yes, absolutely. And, okay. and you know, it's, um, and yeah, so I know we don't want to dig too much in the advanced line, but yeah, he does have advanced classes, you know, where he's taken the ranger, for example, and created a class and he's taken other races. Uh, in the advanced books, he actually does break out into two options. You can play races class, or you can play separate the race and the class like 1E. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but he is the first to say, and I've had an opportunity to do work with Gavin a little bit on just, you know, editing and some stuff. Uh, I've had a chance to proofread a bunch of stuff for him and had some email conversations with him about his design goals. And like when he converted advanced monsters uh, to like, it was never intended to be like a one-to-one, -one. like he's not trying to emulate one E he's trying to give that one E feel of those options in right. EX mindset. Yeah. So that being the case, you know, there, there are some differences between some of the monsters he ported over for 1E and the classes and, and things like that, limiting the spells and things like that. He still wanted to have that 1E feel. Yeah. Um, and one thing but that you I don't just, have stuff like, you don't have stuff like percentile strength or other things. Right. That, yeah, you know, he doesn't it, or things like okay. Strictly yeah. AD and D1E stuff. Yeah, it's really, to, and one thing for me that, that this kind of dawned on me as I was kind of going through these advanced books was this is actually how I played 1E back in the day. I took from yes. 1E the classes and the spells, but I played it like BX. I never played 1E with the segments and the yeah. you know, all the, the fiddly stuff that, that I know, you know, is, is kind of core of 1E and, and, you know, I think it's really cool. But we didn't play it that way. I started with basic and then I grabbed the advanced books and I just pulled stuff from it. And so we would play, we would say we're playing first edition advanced, but I wouldn't be playing, you know, I, I feel like our play style was much more like basic, um, just using the advanced classes. But, and I think that that's kind of what Gavin's doing with his advanced line and it's completely optional and completely, you know, you know, well, you I think a, to run it. I think a lot of what, a lot of us did. I know I did it in the 80s is if I got a new book or an adventure, if it said basic, if it said advanced D&D, if it said whatever, I would just take what I wanted out of it. If it was yeah. a Dragon magazine. And Which... then when second edition came out, I didn't completely switch over. I remember my players coming and sitting down and saying, are we playing first or second edition? And I said, yes. <laughs> See, and that's that's something that everyone should do with every role-playing game, which is a good segue for what would you steal? Uh, we don't have to, to launch in right now, but like, you should always just read something and decide what you want to take and what you don't. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people do this with adventures. They read the adventure and then they never run the adventure. They just steal things from that adventure and glom together their own, you know, um, take what you want and leave what you don't, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, James, you bringing that up, just, I mean, I had nothing to talk about for what I was going to steal, but you just mentioning that up, something just popped in my head and now I can't wait to share it. Launch so, into it. Well, now, well, and that's, and that's, 
uh, you know, I know we all have like the extensive show notes, uh, you know, sure, I know sure. that Todd sent out the PDF, which was like, what, 90 something pages or something like that. But I'm, uh, I'm bucking that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on my own here. I'm gonna ad lib a little bit. Did you, you write that? I didn't, I didn't know we were supposed to. Okay. You didn't download the PDF? I mean, I downloaded it. So, so let's, let's talk about our likes, Rick. Uh, what did you like most about OSE? Oh, well, see, I was just talking about what we'd steal, and now you threw me off. Um, well, I mean, I'll be the Well, first that's because I'm following the show notes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, lawful time. Yeah. All lawful right. neutral. Uh, I'm sorry. I missed your PowerPoint presentation on it, okay? But uh, I guess uh, I'll be the first to say that, uh, the, the, you know, I'm not the layout guy or the font guy that James is. But I think anybody that's got eyes has got to be able to respect the skill at which this guy has in presenting his game. It's absolutely beautiful without being distracting. More Porg. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to get into what I would steal yet, but um, it's like that was uh, that and the, you know, making. It's it's a beautiful game, but it, I think you know the the layout, the font choice, just uh, the the in, what do you call it the end covers, where rather than use artwork, it's like handy tables. It's almost like having you know if you open the both end covers, it's almost like you have a like DM a, a DM screen mm -hmm. right there at your fingertips. But also they have a DM screen that's also a wonderful i mean besides the fact that it's not portrait which is my preference um if you're going to call it old school it should be portrait that's all i'm uh, saying landscape um, is better presentation oh uh, but it's not fight, old school fight me it's fight called me. old school attention <laughs> essentials but uh we we uh that's anyway i don't want to take up too much time because todd's giving me the look so that's mine that's my <laughs> james uh so what do i love about it i mean this is like classic James, but the presentation, <laughs> the layout, the font uh, is fantastic. I own, uh, Mold Bay Cook is my favorite edition of Dungeons and Dragons, no secret there. And um, the the presentation of it, the font in Mold Bay Cook is beautiful. It's my favorite font. But the presentation is difficult because you have to splice two books together. This Does that brand, font have a name? Uh, I'm fairly certain it does. And I mean, I don't want to sidetrack this, but... Uh, no, I, I, it, it does, and there's actually the reason why people don't use it now is there's licensing issues. Um, okay. It's not um, widely available. You have to license it. It's not cheap. We need to do get a research if, team we, on that. Do we know if Gavin like intended to use it, but those issues prevented him from using it? That is a great question uh, that we should email Gavin about. But not today. But not today. Uh, but we should get our legal team uh, to, to read that email first before we send it. Maybe we can change all of our fonts to yeah. the Mulvey fonts. Yeah. Um, all, at least in all of the inter-office memos. Yeah. But yeah, the thing I love about it is, is the default presentation is digest size, which is my favorite format for any role-playing game that I'm going to run at the table. Yeah. Easy on the eyes. Uh, yeah. Being the oldest here, uh, mm -hmm. I got to throw some love for that because some digests uh, don't take that into account. And, you know, without grabbing a pair of reading glasses, it's hopeless for me at the table. But uh, I can flip this open and uh, easily read it. So, uh, you know again, what that is? Love that. He, he uses two column layout. Instead okay. of three column layout, which is insane. Don't ever do that. The two columns nice. The the use of headers um, is great. Uh, I love mm -hmm. how he does what Gavin referred to as control panel layout. Mm -hmm. how, like everything for a certain topic is on a two page spread that you can open to. So everything I need for a halfling is on a two page spread with their abilities and their saving throws and their level progression chart. And, you know, it's nice no matter what your topic is, it, it, it comes in a nice, you know, 
two-way spread here. And despite the wealth of artwork in the book, none of it is used as background behind the text, which I absolutely hate. So, Mm -hmm. you know, credit where credit is due on that too. But what he does do is provide background to text for headers and special tables for, and will, will, so the the book is a, a white background. Headers have a light green underneath of it to make the sections pop and draws your attention to it. It's actually very similar to um, the uh, collected um, rule cyclopedia. Rule cyclopedia. Yeah, it, it's a very similar layout and actually a similar color. And I'd, I'd love to know if that was intentional. Yeah, it, the presentation's beautiful and I love it. If you're going to run BX, I think, you know, even if you're running, your players have the, 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 you know, original books and you're running original module, I would buy B. I would buy OSE as the DM just to have a, a reference at hand that I can get to quickly. It's fantastic. And I, I run it every week in a very, um, very crazy, uh, uh, Metal Gods of Ur-Hadad game that uh, is post-apocalyptic 17th century uh, and they're playing a bread cult uh, overthrowing uh, a colonial empire. So it's um, it's flexible. The game is infinitely <laughs> so you're, you're hitting You're hitting every trope there is. There's, you know, it's just the same old, same old, you know, when you all play cards <laughs> of a bread cult, you know, that's... You know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it might be worth mentioning too that another I know design philosophy that Gavin had is that it was going to be modular, um, that you could use the BX system for other things. I know he's talked at least about doing a post-apocalyptic version, and mm-hmm. and with the modular book format at least, where you have the genre rules as he calls them, which includes the classes and things like that. Yeah. You can use the so basic rules of BX and then he, when he ever gets around to dropping a genre rules book for post-apocalypse or whatever it might be, you know, so that would not easily. be attempting to clone gamma world. That would bring a gamma world like setting to the BX rule set. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be okay. the intent from what I've, I've heard. Cool. I, know he's, I would totally buy that. He's, that's t- he's, he's working on his Dolman wood campaign setting right now. And I think that's dominating his time, but uh, I have heard him say that that's something he wanted to do down the road or encourage other people. He's got a third party license too. Mm-hmm. And he's encouraged other people to do things for. Oh policy. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people have already ran with that a lot. The, the post-apocalyptic reference that's actually, used in the book uh in the save section he talks about uh how uh save versus uh breath weapon or save versus poison could be used for radiation kojo what would you say your top like of ose was my biggest thing when i first saw it was um gavin's uh, exhaustive research maybe it's because i'm a history teacher and i appreciate mm-hmm. research but um <laughs> I know he wanted to honor the original rules and not be tinkering with them, you know, and and did a good job with that. But the original BX rules did have a lot of inconsistencies just between those two little books. I mean, things were at different places were explained in different ways or not clear. And so although he's trying to faithfully recreate things, he did have to make some decisions about how to interpret certain rules where there was conflict or ambiguity. Um, and, and he's documented all of that on his website, actually. Like you can see, he's got design notes on his website that you can see where he came to certain ideas, um, about different decisions that he made in the book. And I do think, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's not, it might be in the, um, yeah, in the back of the, the tome and I think in the back of the core rules too, there is an author's notes section where he kind of summarizes the main things, like how he interpreted things. And then it, it gets into even more granular detail on his website. But it just speaks to the fact that he really wanted to be faithful to the original. He really wanted to present, his goal is to present BX rules in a way that's just easier to play and pick up and play for a modern gamer with modern sensibilities on design and layout things right. like that and so um that's what's impressed me most about it and what kind of got me on board with it initially so were any of his choices uh, controversial 
Um, I don't think controversial. I mean, I've, I, you know, I follow him on, you know, Facebook and his website and stuff and, and various things. You know, he talks about, um, you know, for example, um, he said, with encumbrance, here's just a quick example from the core rules. He said, the original basic rules contained ambiguities relating to the encumbrance system. I've attempted to resolve these ambiguities in a sensible and consistent way, but other interpretations of the original rules are possible. Which I like that, that he presents it that way, that like, this is how I interpreted it and why. Right. But if you read it and interpret it a different way, that's perfectly okay. So that kind of nips the controversy, right? Because he's not really saying that, this is the way it should be and uh, how I've interpreted it. Yeah. I mean, he really does a good job. I mean, I think the biggest thing is the inclusion of ascending armor class as an option. Um, he, like we said earlier, he does it in a way that's, you know, almost transparent to me. Like I prefer to run it with the original descending armor class, but the fact that there's ascending number in parentheses right next to the descending doesn't throw me off in the stat block. Like I just look past it and run what I'm running. But the ascending inclusion, I think, does make sense because I do think you alienate a segment of the gamer population if you don't have that in there. And I think right. that was the main uh, the main thing that he I've seen him talk about that 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 he added. Like the only thing he really added, you know, from scratch, really, or I guess was that ascending armor class. But he justifies why, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, I think the thing I like best is his his organization is very intuitive. Uh, I actually found myself, uh, when we started to play, I, I went to look something up and I just started randomly flipping through books like I you normally have to do with a lot of classic OSR games, well, not necessarily OSR games, but the original games themselves, like uh, stuff in the original Dungeon Master's Guide isn't necessarily in a good order and I, I had to stop myself and just look and go oh this is organized perfectly well so instead of randomly flipping through mm -hmm. I will just look at the title on the individual book and then look at the table of contents and you can go right there it's easy to find everything once you stop <laughs> well once I stop trying to just flip through and find it like I do in my old books yeah, it's, a, it's definitely more of a reference format than a narrative format. Whereas, like, uh, the Mold Bay Cook set takes a very, like, conversational tone. Um, OSE is very reference material. And there are sidebars with some conversational tone. But So uh, I'm going to do this uh, backwards now for the dislikes. I'll start with the dislikes. And the, the only thing I really have to say is... I, I wish I had a classic full-size book, uh, you know, digest size, <laughs> digest for size those are, is For handy. those of you that can't see him, James Todd. Smith is shaking his head. Uh, Do they have one? disagrees here. Todd, Todd is the lawful to my chaotic, for sure. <laughs> so, I, you know, I like the eight and a half by 11 books. And, you know, I would like to have this in a nice big eight and a half by 11 tome. For what it's worth, your just... hands must be huge, because <laughs> my my this fits in my hand. Well, I tell you, I have um, one thing I have done. Uh, I did um, print the PDFs uh, on eight and a half by eleven, fit to the page, um, and then comb bound them. Nice. And nice. uh, so that I could, you know, because I like the lay flatness, I guess, of the comb bound or spiral yeah. bound option would be nice. I mean, I would love if this tone would come in a spiral bound. I think that would that be That would cool. be. That would be. Um, cool. But um, so I do use that at the table sometimes. So I do have my rules tome in eight and a half and 11. I just had to print it myself. But uh, you do know, you have but, any uh, dislikes of the game? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, honestly. Um, you know, I'm, I struggle to find uh, anything that's anything that's not just nitpicky. Um, I, oh, I know mine will that, be nitpicky. I'm going to say that up front. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that. Um, I guess the biggest thing that that jumped out to me is um, again some of the uh, decisions on like how to 
Um, like when he converted monsters, like he's got a format for his monsters. It's very straightforward. It is very, as James said, um, for reference material purposes, there isn't a flowery description of the monster. It's literally like a one or two sentence description of the monster, a stat block, yeah. and then bullet points of the special abilities of the creature, which I think is great. But I do miss, I mean, as a kid, it was fascinating to me to read this more narrative description of these creatures, but maybe as you know, a more senior gamer, I don't, I don't need that anymore. If I hear orc, I know what I'm, I don't need the description, mm. but, but he does, you know, describe, for example, orc as ugly, bad tempered, animalistic humanoids who live underground and are active at night, sadistic bullies who hate other living creatures and delight in killing. That's, you know, that's a very summative of the old school orc. I don't want to get into new ideas on orcs or anything like that, but you know, this is just a straightforward d description of the orc. Um, Do we know if there's uh, somewhere, I mean, it's not there with the description of the orc, but is there any like artwork that depicts them? I because was I'd be say, interested no, if they went like pig faced. To save space, they, he, uh, he didn't give like, images of most of the creatures very few of them actually have an image on the page that they're right that they're on i don't think i've seen an orc in here that was going to be my dislike by the way uh is oh and i noticed he went the lizard man route rather than lizard folk hmm. and there is an image of the lizard man which is what you might expect yeah no, that's true. So, I mean, there's a few, yeah, there's a few images, but I think it, to keep it clean and to keep the space and the page count and, and be able to not have the font have to be real tiny, you know, I, he was, yeah, he didn't have a picture of every creature, but um, so I guess that's, you know, when I think like to the old school monster manual or, or things, um, you know, I, I mean, I kind of like that. I totally understand why he didn't do it that way. And that probably makes sense, but um, you know, again, it's nitpicky, but uh I do like those very long monster manual descriptions of the ecology of the creatures and all that stuff, but uh, that's right. not in here. James, what did you say your dislike was? You were, were yeah. So so it's difficult for me because like any dislike I would have is really not a dislike of OSC. It's a dislike of something in uh, Mold Bay Cook BX. Um, but as far as like specific to OSC, I think yeah. I do wish there was more artwork for monsters. Um, if, you know, maybe there is in the monster book that is, you know, the separate. Um, um, the one that from the recent Kickstarter. Yeah, or or just the separate, like I have the rules tome, so maybe the the separate books have more art. No, no, no. It's, it's the same. Okay. Yeah, so that that's my one dislike. And other than that, like you know, uh, I dislike that there isn't um, holes in the book to put into my trapper keeper. You know, like <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that's 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 about it. Because you know. it did not. I think we'll all agree, though. It does not feel sparse on the artwork. I mean, no. there no, there's a ton of artwork in it. Yeah, full color, two page spreads. Uh, there are a lot of little spot illos. Um, Flipping through it, I mean, I've got other games that, you know, it feels like you go few and far between with the illustrations, and then the illustrations are not that good. Uh, that's that's not the case here, uh, which is kind of uh, funny for me to say because uh, my dislike involves the artwork. Um, most of it is absolutely wonderful. There are some artists that I recognize from from other old school works and it was uh it was awesome to see them represented here too uh there were some artists that i were not familiar with that i now am and i really appreciated their work as well but there's a few pieces spread throughout that i felt were a little fairy tale like and not really like the original european you know scary as as poop uh fairy tale but more like more conventional modern take on fairy tale. And I think it kind of matches up with his Dolmenwood setting. I'm not really a setting guy. Uh, Dolmenwood does not appeal to me as much as it might to some. And uh, I just, uh, I, I, I appreciate the fact that they show 
this is not like say where DCC is specifically said to try to bring that swords and sorcery feel to it. This is not supposed to do that. This is supposed to just be fantasy. And uh -huh. so that fairy tales very much are fantasy. It's just not my preference. So I found it a little jarring when you find some badass picture of a fighter. And then there was like, um, you know, I don't know. Well, you're right in that it's not cohesive in its art direction, say. And I don't think that's not a knock on Gavin. I think that that's by design. It's supposed to be more generic. Like you said, DCC mm -hmm. has a, a thematic feel to all of its artwork. Very much Whereas so. here, I think he's definitely pulled a who's who of OSR artists and some of them and are let me, let me repeat artists. and I think I, I speak for all of us when I am trying to find something that I did. <laughs> it's hard. Like, it's it's I, such well, a good game. I think I've it's already amazing. established with earlier when we were talking about I have both the rules tone, the box set. I, w I was all in on the Kickstarter. I absolutely mm -hmm. adore this game to pieces. Oh yeah. And but we have a segment each time we do a show <laughs> that features our dislikes so i had to find something so um if you send that hate mail on to me uh, my name is rick uh but uh uh i'm trying here to find something to dislike so well, what i heard very much is, the knittest of nitpicks yeah i was gonna say what i heard you say is like 95 percent of the artwork you love and oh I mean, there's, I, a, man, there's a piece here there's 90, a piece there but i mean yeah, that's possibly true of, more than 95 but yeah i mean know. that's that's true of any book so i mean yeah i agree we're nit, we're really nitpicking because i do really love this game we all agree that it's a high quality product uh it's very well done it, it's spiffy to say the least faithful, uh, faithful but, to the original well let's talk about why why would we play old school essentials as opposed to one of the other 49 plus shades of D&D? &D? Yeah. Uh, Kojo, why don't, why don't you? Sure. I know for me, so I did not play BX back in the day. I started with the Mensa Redbox Beckme. And there's obviously a lot of overlap between those versions, um, a lot of similarities. And I, I know I had at one point the Moldvay book, and so I was pulling, you know, splice things together. Um, but for me, um, the just the clarity of presentation is so good. And going back and looking at, because I didn't play with the BX books, when I go back and look at them, I can see where you know, if you tried to pick up that today and, and learn how to play from scratch, that would be a challenge with those rules. I think people that grew up with them in a time when that was all we had, that's different. But I think nowadays, you know, I think that the presentation and organization is really important, uh, especially that this is sold as, you know, this retro adventure game. And it's kind of, I think, a bridge to OSR gaming, right? And so, um, you don't you don't want to have organization be a turnoff to people getting into the game and saying then painting all of the osr games with this brush of oh they're overly complex or badly organized right. or whatever i think that this addresses some of those things um i've always been a proponent that when i hear people say that oh games have evolved and gotten better i don't know that they've gotten better i think that layout and design has gotten better i think you know the benefit of looking back on things in the past helps the modern games but i think that there is an elegance to the older games too that sometimes was hard to see through the problems with you know layout and design issues yeah. um which you know it was you know at the beginning of the hobby it was you know zine format stuff stapled together at you know yeah so i i budget. feel like yeah this zine is, like zine like in the classic sense of the word not like where you know trevor stamper has taken like the word zine and with tales of the smoking worm it's like oh wow that's like mean, gorgeous this zine. is a this is a this is a zine because i mean for those of you that are not familiar with it what an amazing product that is. And, uh, you know, when it, when you have something that has gold foil on the cover, to me, it's like, this is a zine, but you know, that is, that's a compliment towards both Trevor and Tales of Smoking Worm. And that's my official name drop this episode. <laughs> so I, I think OSC, OSC looks to me 
like if TSR would have had the time and money and resources to do things exactly right when they released the Moldvay and cookbox sets. Yeah, well, we've already made the comparison yeah. to uh, the Rule Cyclopedia, yeah. which of course was sort of like their attempt. But then again, that was what, in the early 90s? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to like, you know, now. So thanks, thanks to Kickstarter, uh, this guy was able to, to do that. He could get the money and the time and put it out the way probably uh, he always dreamed it could be. Or it actually, you know, when I look at it, it, it gives you that ooh-ah that you probably had when you were a little kid and you saw mm -hmm. yeah. BX to begin with. I mean, it can take a, a full-grown adult that has been jaded over decades of game playing and still make you go ooh-ah and give you the playable game that you maybe have yearned for for all these years. Not that the other games aren't playable, but you know what I mean, more cohesive, less rules arguments and such. Well, I mean, they were kind of writing it on the fly back in the day, right? Trying to get product out there, build the yeah. company. And Gavin has the advantage of, you know, not only having played it and studied it and have years of looking at it and reorganizing it. And so, yeah, if they had more time back in the day to, mm -hmm. you know, take their time with it, it probably would have looked a little different than it, you know, the final product did, you know, so it makes sense. Rick, what are your thoughts? Uh, why, why would you pick OSE over other games? Uh, I think so that, um, if it wasn't just me and a bunch of like guys like you, where we all are thoroughly, you know, invested in, aware of, experienced with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, if I had a player that maybe wasn't, and you know, I was trying to like sell uh, the idea of Dungeons and Dragons the way it used to be, this would be what I'd want them to like to see, to experience, so that they. Um, don't have to go out there and pay like, you know, collector's prices for like the, uh, the original box sets or books or what have you. Um, and for my ease as, you know, let's face it as a, as a DM, um, my time, like, like us all, you know, we got other things going on in our lives. Um, it's not like in college where you could play all night. So it's a lot easier for me to have everything collected right here in a in a in a in a way that makes sense and that's logical uh rather than to uh, you know so i love my original books uh, i'll never give them up but this is this is pretty appealing this is pretty handy too james uh so the reason i would pick uh ose is because i want i want to run basic dnd uh, I am in love with the rule system from a simplicity standpoint and how all of the rules work cohesively together very well. Um, the uh, experience from experience, um, gold for experience to, uh, you know, the turn order that Corey, uh, that Kojo mentioned earlier and uh, yeah, when I want to run a classic you know, module or even uh, Burrow Maze, OSE is the rule system that I will use. Um, and it's just, like I said, is my, is my desert um, island game because it's so flexible and versatile, but gives you some good, simple rulings um, that aren't overly complex. Um, I've stole rules from it for Nave before. Um, it's just a, a good overall rule set. Uh, it's a good base. Uh, I ran it for people at my company uh, at our retreat uh, before the pandemic, and uh, we had a ton of fun. Uh, so it has so it has all the simplicity, flexibility, and charm of BX. Yep. And it's kind of uh, removed the warts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, the I no more flipping back and forth between two different books 
for for different levels and for you know different spells and uh, well, if you if you have the tongue yeah i mean <laughs> but even 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 if you don't have the tongue you have the multiple books everything spell all the spells are in one place in one book That's true. right that's true. Uh, in, in original BX, like in a book that'll yeah. fit in your hand, right, James? Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And, a, and, and a book that will fit in my tiny, tiny hands, apparently. Or if you're um, Kojo, a book that'll fit in your palm. You know? That's true. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's that's true. Kojo eight and a half eleven is digest, so that's that's fine. <laughs> so you, you started being six foot seven. Yeah. <laughs> the, you started to mention uh, things that you would steal from it, uh, but yeah. but for me. There's nothing I would steal from this game from a mechanic standpoint because I've already stole it. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and, and most other games are uh, of the OSR games we look at. Run have it like you stole it. Stolen all the good things from it already. <laughs> so I, I, I guess you could, uh, if you were designing your own game, you could steal some ideas for layout and stuff, but the game itself is so uh, much of a fundament of the fundamental foundation of all the other games we look at. It's hard for mm-hmm. me to pick something that I would steal. I was I able a, to. I, oh, go ahead, Ray. Well, I got a call back to uh, to some things that I've said uh, in prior episodes as far as what I would steal. But this is what I would steal is I don't want to. Hey, game company. Uh, I don't want to buy your game yet again with another cover. What I want to buy is your game with special guest layout guy, Gavin Norman, to do your game. Can you imagine Castles and Crusades as, you know, layout, editing, you know, mm-hmm. fonts uh, presented by Gavin Norman? Man, I would jump on that. So... Uh, and that's you two Goodman games. I love you to death, but man, uh, I don't want yet another cover. I want, uh, I want like the Gavin Norman edition. Um, so you know, you bought the last cover of DCC that came out. Oh, of course I did. Of course I did. <laughs> but, uh, the one thing that I've stolen, um, that I really like in the back of both the tome or the core rule book, if you're using the modular there are some nice pages here like one two-page spread for designing a dungeon yes where he lays it out step by step has a handful of tables to randomize some stuff but lays out here design a dungeon one choose the setting two choose monsters three map the dungeon four stock the dungeon then he gives some tips then there's designing a wilderness designing a base town i've used those i've referenced those ideas when i've been doing things for other games like when i want to do a base town um there's also some nice sections on retainers and henchmen strongholds strongholds i mean there's some really good dm stuff in here for anyone who's like a maybe a newer game master um that just kind of lots of good tips in there i felt like it and i even benefit from going back through and reading it and, and helps me organize my thoughts when i'm creating my own uh dungeon or or whatever so that's that's what i'd steal yeah nice. sim- similar to me uh i yeah all of those little rules for like running strongholds or or for uh, exploring the wilderness, I use all the time. Um, the number one I thing I think I always steal those uh, gold for XP because I think it makes Dungeons and Dragons work. Um, but yeah, rules for retainers, simple D6 systems for opening doors and and things like that. Um, I, I steal all the time for other games uh, and. I, it's just a tight little rule system that I love. So guys, as much as I love talking to all of you, uh, studio time is very precious and it's very uh, costly. And I think we've went a little bit over budget already. And I'm sure our board of directors will have something to say about that once again. So we should probably cut it here 
and well let's uh let's give a big thank you to corey for joining us today absolutely uh, and for running us first... through the adventure oh, oh, yeah. Sure. oh yeah all thank best. you kojo it was a lot of fun and uh you know maybe we can do it again uh maybe try out the advanced options at some point in the future i'd love to do that with you guys absolutely we'll have our uh, manager uh, send you a contract for your next appearance awesome and i look forward to that and don't spend your royalty checks all in one place also uh, read, read the fine print uh, well, yeah. seriously gotcha. you know the royalty checks might help you keep up on those goodman games covers yeah i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> at the rate they come out so uh you know I guess we'll sign off with some advice from the good advice dwarf. Uh, Kojo, do you, do you know what the advice <laughs> of the good advice dwarf is? Um, I don't know it verbatim, no. Always check for traps. There oh. you go. Don't split the party. Oh, there, there you go. There you go. I can't remember the other one, I'm sorry. Oh, come on. Never, Never fire, fire into melee. Yeah. Oh, there you yeah. go. So that wraps this episode. I'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. See ya.